Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Let me invite you to open your Bibles as we start this exciting lesson. It was part of our 2005 fall focus on the family built by the Lord. Brother Phil Cavender from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, presented this lesson on faith, family, and finances. So open your Bible, and let's learn how to be great stewards of the blessings God has given us. Good evening. Good to see each and every one of you here on this occasion. Once again, we can study God's Word together. And it's been uh, my good pleasure to have been with you this morning and then also again tonight. I appreciate the invitation to be here. I appreciate it when Brother Edwin asked me. And uh, the topic matter tonight is uh, one that uh, I guess I thought I'd always love to do a lesson on. But then when I was given the task and I thought, boy, this will be a lot of fun, I've never done a lesson on this before, uh, about finances, uh, but yet it's interesting. I deal with that every day in the lives of people and with individuals, and uh, I travel all over the United States, and I have clients all over the United States, and uh, I deal with their problems every day regarding finances and financial things. So if you're sitting here this evening, uh, chances are, very good, that you've got some kind of a challenge in your life financially. Uh, and if you don't think you do, you do. Uh, and so there are complexities about this, far more than our study tonight can even uh, let us or allow us uh, to go into tonight. When I thought about this topic, Edwin, I thought about it a lot of times, and I read the book that, uh, that you sent me, your very good workbook with regard to this. But I think many times when we talk about uh, finances, we talk of, or we think in terms of a preacher talking about the contribution. And I'm not going to do that to you tonight. I'm not going to let that be our topic. I think you know, I think you realize that God expects you to give and give as you have been prospered. I'm not going to focus our time on that this evening. But rather I want to focus perhaps on some other things. Maybe they will be useful. Because, see, in the world in which we live, there are things that we're confronted with, some things that you can control, as we talked about this morning, choices that you can make. And then there are going to also be things that are really beyond your control. We live in a very perplexing world. This subject of money is difficult. And uh, the rules of money are stacked very much against people. And I think so many times our educational system has let us down. I graduated from a school of business, and when I look back on all that I learned during that course of study, I don't use any of that information today. About 85 or 90 percent of all that we learn, we never utilize when we get out into the real world. It's interesting how that happens. And sometimes the things we're confronted with that we could use every day, our educational system does not touch. And uh, so I wish we could have more of that. Uh, the other day I was visiting, uh, I was in Palm Beach, Florida, and uh, Brother Colley Caldwell and uh, Doug Nerlin flew down to Palm Beach to, uh, who Colley is, of course, as you may well know, the president of Florida College. And we were talking about this subject, and uh, he was telling me about some plans for the college, about how they want to uh, look at a liberal arts degree with regard to ethics and business. I said, I'm glad to hear that because I'm glad to hear people are looking at things that people could actually use. 
that are useful in business. Because to me, there are things that are important that we can control and so many that we can't. And so in our society, I thought this evening, it, this has actually become a much more difficult topic than I ever really imagined. Because I really, tonight, I have about, I have about five or six lessons here that I did starting. And I just don't know which one to do tonight. Because there's so many angles of attack on this that, uh, but I think hopefully by the end of this evening, I hope it's not disorganized, but that I can convey some things and perhaps give you some hope and some ideas that will help you out in your life. And when your life's okay, when everything is okay with you, everything will be okay, or with, when everything's okay with God and with you, everything will be okay. Your giving will be right. You will have done the best you could. And that's what God expects us to do, to use our talents in ways that are productive for his service. But see, we live in a society and we live in a system which is very much against us. I do seminars around the United States about five wealthy roving factors. I won't give you that seminar tonight. But those factors are such that they're going to affect every single person in this audience tonight. They're going to affect every individual in our country. And those factors are we live in a changing world because Congress is constantly changing the laws in which we operate under. And every time that we change a law, it changes our future and the way that we live. We have the problem of taxes in our, in our country. Taxes, things like fees are also attached to it, which are just like a tax. The role that inflation plays. And so inflation works just like a tax because the value of the dollar is never determined until the point in time that you try to spend the dollar. You have other wealthy eroding things, people that will sue you today. So if you accumulate something, somebody's quite willing to take it away from you. And so you have a number of things like that that are constantly working against you. And why would I bring things like that up? I bring things like that up tonight. Not to go into a discussion on those, but only to make you aware that probably some of the frustration that you feel is with regard to things and economics and things that are affecting you that make life awfully difficult for you. You're out there working every day, and when you get that paycheck, you don't get to keep all of it, do you? Because you see, with every deduction, all the things that are taken away to fund things. And so we live in a world sometimes where the things that our world, or at least our society, it rewards the values that we as children of God would abhor. In other words, our system today rewards people who are unproductive. And it takes from people who are very productive, and they'll reward people who are not productive. And so we see that as we're going to go in the course of our study today. When we look at the subject of uh, the, you know, the, the parable of the talents, that goes totally opposite of what the Bible tells us to do. And so we see just the opposite reaction of the Lord. But yet in our country, we take from people who are productive and we give those to people. Now, I'm not talking about people who are truly in need, but we will discuss that tonight too. Because I think one of the things that we can control is the subject of slothfulness and how we go about approaching our affairs every day. And so we have in our country a redistribution of wealth. And so we have things uh, like our social security system that so many people today rely on it. And I'm not here to talk or give a political speech on that. But it is something that has been created. And once you give it to people, you can never, ever take it away. And so it has to be funded. We also live in a world where our deficits in our country are going to affect everything you do. 
And I say all these things once again, I remind you, because these things are going to affect how you and what you can give back to the Lord. I think if I were to do a lesson tonight on the giving of this congregation or anywhere, that there's not a single person, Brother Fraser, that wouldn't want to give more. But sometimes you just look at things and you think things are so tight right now. And you look at the things we're dealing with, we look at, at things like pharmaceutical costs. Pharmaceutical costs today cost more than people's house payments did tw uh, 15 years ago. And so there are people here today that are dealing with that. And what about the gasoline prices and fuel prices in the last few, uh, in the last year? You know, if you're in this audience and you drive a vehicle of any kind, you're dealing with uh, increased costs there. They're saying that this year, this winter, that we may be faced with 90% increases in our natural gas costs. What's that going to do to you and your budget? Or you think about some of these other things. I, I could just go through all these things. What, what about your health insurance? I had somebody a day or two ago, uh, try to remember where it was at, uh, was telling me that their health insurance for the first of the year goes up another $300 a month. And so what do we do about that? That all has to be fit into a budget. And every time those effect, or things happen, they affect what we do and how we go about spending our money. Anybody here sending a child to college right now? You know what I'm talking about there. It's difficult there. College costs are going up somewhere between 15 and 20% per year. And so you've got to deal with that if you've got children, perhaps, and you're, that's something you're struggling with. And so when I say all these things, and then maybe you're retired and you're living on a fixed income, and the cost of living is going up, but the buying power of your dollar is going down, and the longer you live, the worse it gets. And then a preacher gets up, and they preach about giving, a lesson on giving. And so it just sure is hard to make things meet, is it? And it's not that I don't think there's not a single person here tonight that wouldn't want to give more to the Lord. I think I'm looking into the eyes of people who really want to do what God wants them to do. And I'm confident about that. And so tonight, I want to just look at some things and just perhaps maybe give us some ideas that help us be better stewards of what God has given us. We live in a time and an age where it's difficult out there. I heard uh, if, uh, on our website, on, on my website that I have for my business, we keep the national debt clock going all the time. If you ever log in there, you'll see it. That's one of those prominent things. And when I checked in on it yesterday, the national debt clock is up over $8 trillion. Well, you want to try to figure out what that is. Maybe while you're, if you're extended or overextended or owe something, uh, maybe this will give you hope. Because if we were trying to pay back our national debt of $8 trillion, here's how we could do it. If we were trying to pay back $1 million, we could do that by paying $1 every second for the next 12 days. And we would repay $1 million. But what about a billion dollars? A billion dollars would be $1 every day for the next 31 years. That's $1 billion. But how about paying back $1 trillion? And remember, we're $8 trillion in debt right now. Well, to pay back a trillion dollars would be $1 every second for the next 31,000 years. Now, multiply that times 8. And you see, we live in a country that is overextended. It's overpromising. It's offering so much to people and entitlements to people. And so if it keeps doing it, we're in a disastrous situation. And so I just say that to make you aware that things may not get better. They may get tougher. So as a child of God, how do we deal with things like that? How are we going to be able to cope with what are going to be tremendous pressures upon every single person? 
And so that's why when, when we talk about these things, that when, when I look at it, when you go about your work each day, do you give it your very best? Or are you doing just as little as you can get by with? How do you go about your daily work? Uh, would you say you delight in what you do, or do you dread what you do every day? Uh, would you consider yourself to be industrious and energetic, or would you say uh, you're more apathetic toward your work? Uh, when others observe your life and just kind of observe what you do, would they consider you to be fruitful, industrious, energetic, prosperous? Or would they always uh, look at you and say, well, he's one that just excuses himself always and always has some reason why he can't do it. So ask yourself, which one of these things describes you? Because, see, ask yourself, because which of these characteristics or characters most describes a child of God? Because a child of God every day should be energetic about what he does. He should be someone that's not slothful. Over in the book of Second, or, or pardon me, in Second Thessalonians chapter three, if you would turn there with me, in Second Thessalonians chapter three, there is a, a recorded by Paul something that's quite interesting. In Second Thessalonians chapter three, beginning there in verse six, it says, "Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us." But you yourselves know how you ought to, ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working day and night, or night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. For we hear that there are some among you who are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Such persons are commanded and exhorted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And so here it is, we see here the problem in this church. Somebody says, well, what's going on in this church? What he's saying here is that there were some people that weren't working. And they weren't working. There were some people here who weren't working, and they expected the church here to take care of them and help them with regard to their needs. And some were thinking maybe that Jesus was going to be coming soon. Whatever the reason, they just weren't working. And they were relying on somebody to take uh, their over their responsibilities. And what Paul says here, if any won't work, neither should they eat. I'll tell you what, that would cure a lot of that deficit tomorrow. If we just laid down, our Congress passed a law tomorrow and changed the way people were going to live, because every time they pass a law, it changes the way people are going to live. But it would certainly change the way people would live if they passed a law that said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, we'll take care of our poor, and we'll take, take care of those who can't take care of themselves. But for everyone else you're going to have to go back to work. And so as a result, that's what the Bible teaches here. And so the Bible is very specific here with regard to laziness, slothfulness, being a sluggard, being habitually lazy, and someone who, uh, who is a believer in Christ Jesus. We just can't be that way. And so here, the Bible here, the King James Version uses the term slothfulness here. Uh, the New American Standard Version talks about a sluggard. And so it's, it's very descriptive language. What's a sluggard's life? 
or, or have you ever seen a, a slug? When, when I, we were out in Hawaii a few weeks ago, and uh, I would walk out there, and early in the morning, there'd be these tremendous slugs, uh, just kind of slimy, just kind of going across. And I didn't know what they were at first. They were so big. And as I would walk along the, the path there along the ocean, uh, on the concrete, I'd see these things. I thought, what are they? I mean, they're just, they're just creeping along, not doing anything. And uh, they're slugs. And uh, what's their purpose? And they're slimy. They've got a skeletonless body. They're slick and slimy. They just glide along in the slime that they produce. And so here it is. They have no real sense of pur- purpose. They're kind of like a jellyfish that if you've ever seen those in the ocean, they're just kind of there. They're slimy and no sense of direction. And they finally end up on a beach somewhere and they just drop and they die. And so the description here of a slugger is like a slug. Sliminess, no purpose in life, no ambitions in life, and you just can't hide slothfulness. And so the Bible is very specific with regard to opposite and or uh, slothfulness. But the opposite of slothfulness is being industrious, being energetic about things, being diligent about something, giving it your very best. And so when I look at things we can do with regard to our finances, most of the time are things that there are many times things that we can control. But I want to look at some passages this evening just with regard to slothfulness because along with this, it will teach us about finances. If you've got your Bible, we'll spend most of our time over in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 4, notice this. In Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 4, and here it's beginning to describe, God describes slothfulness in the Bible. It says in 20 and verse 4, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn. So he begs during the harvest and he has nothing. In other words, he's a procrastinator. So it tells us people who procrastinate. He's a procrastinator. They put off continually what they should be doing today. And the motto that they have is, Don't do today what you can put off till tomorrow. That's always their motto. Put it off till another day. Save it for another time. And so a procrastinator, someone who constantly does that, they're going to be a failure. And there's going to be a sense of frustration in their life. They don't carry out responsibilities of their employer. Uh, they may be given assignments. They don't do the things. They are a procrastinator with their employer. They do that with their family. They do that to themselves. And they procrastinate against God also. He's always one who's always starting something, but he just never does finish something up. Something else comes and uh, interrupts the time. Look over, if you would, in the 22nd chapter of the book of Proverbs, and we see something else here. In chapter 22, in verse 13, it says, The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. In other words, the sluggard here, he avoids work. He makes excuses. And so he's thinking of something. He doesn't want to go out. He says it's a sin against God and a sin against his employer. And God isn't going to honor this kind of behavior, but here's a person who just makes excuses. There's always another reason why he can't go out and do something, and so he doesn't do it. And so he's an excuse maker. Over in Proverbs chapter 6, if you'll notice this, the Proverbs is just full of so many good things here with regard to our stewardship and our responsibilities. In Proverbs chapter 6, beginning there in verse 9, how long, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, 
and your need like an armed man. And so here it is, it tells us in this case, here's somebody that wastes time. They waste time. They sleep away the time that they have for opportunities that exist there. And so there is a time, by the way, where we rest from our labors. And we ought to rest. I think we ought to vacation. We ought to have recreation, which is the word recreate ourselves. I'm in a program that I go to. In fact, I, I go up this uh, Friday up in the Chicago for it. A program called The Strategic Coach. I've been in this program now for five years. And one of the things that they teach you is how to be much more productive in what you do. But it's quite interesting. The more time you take off, the more productive you get. And so it's quite interesting. They want you to take off 150 days a year. And uh, it won't do anything to your income but make it go up. And you know what? It works. And what they're saying is that you recreate, you take time to, to rest yourself and to be involved in the things that you love to do. Things like that held value to you. It allows me to do things like today, spend a day like this. I don't work Sundays. And so it allows me to do things like this, do things with my family, take several weeks off. But then when I work, I work very, very hard and diligently. And so it doesn't do anything for your, to your income. It'll actually help you be better in what you do. So there is a time when we do work. And when we are supposed to work, we ought to be working, but there's a time when we do some rest. But see, the problem here is, this person, he's just lying down. He won't arise from his sleep. You can't get him up. And so he's, he's lying there. He's sleeping away his time. And he's clicking away the opportunities and the privileges that God has given him. Let me just do something here. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. I clicked away ten seconds there. And those are ten seconds I'll never, ever be able to recover again. I'll never be able to recover those seconds. They're lost forever. They're gone forever. Ten seconds of my life is gone forever, and I can never get it back. It's a lost opportunity cost that I just had. And see, every time we're wasting time, what we're doing is it's time that's going off the clock. And that clock, the lost time that we have is what's called a lost opportunity cost. And it actually has another cost to it. Because, see, over time, what's ten seconds, you may say? Well, I'll tell you what, when it comes to your death, I know of a lot of people, when they get ready to die, they'd like to have a few more seconds or a couple more days. They just wish they could have a little more time. I've seen it before, and you've seen it. And so, but they've wasted time, useless time. I think television is one of the biggest time wasters. I rarely watch television. Uh, I'll watch some sporting events. I rarely ever watch news today. I'll watch a football game, if it's a particular game, perhaps. But I don't really watch television because I've found it's one of the biggest time wasters there are. I'll see my kids sometime. I can talk about them tonight. They're not here. And so, uh, but I'll see them sometime watching some shows. And I'll look at Maggie and I'll say, Maggie, what was the point of that show? And I don't know. Because I look at it as I pass through. I think, what was the point of all of that? And there was nothing. It's junk. 
It's time-wasting. And you know, you look at today, you look at the channel selections today, I've never seen anything like it. There are occasions where I'll get in, I'll be tired, I'll come in from a trip, and I'll sit down in, in my chair and I'll think, well, let me see what's on TV. And I'll get the remote, and I can go through 800 channels and not find anything. It's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. Just nothing out there. But I realize there must be somebody demanding it because it's there. And all I'm saying is, understand that when we waste time, it's not being a good steward of what God has entrusted us with. I'm not saying we work all the time. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of time where we're slothful in our service that we could be productive for the Lord or do something productive. And being productive with our families, being productive with friends, and making opportunities there available. So see, every second, every hour, every week, every, every month, it's a gift from God. And it's a gift from God to be used. Over in the book of Proverbs in chapter 24, notice something else here. In Proverbs chapter 24, and in verse 30, it says here, I pass by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Here's somebody who's indifferent, somebody who's neglectful, uh, neglectful. He's careless. He's insensitive to the things that are going on around him. Here it is. He doesn't cut his grass. He doesn't keep his house. He doesn't keep his, his things. He's sloppy. He's disorganized. And so the Bible here talks about that person. It's uh, not something that he's saying, oh, this is what a Christian should be like. He's saying this is the opposite. And I think it's sad sometimes if, if Christians don't keep their things organized, or at least the way they look, the way they present themselves, the way they, they present the things that they've been entrusted to on this earth. I've been in homes before of, uh, of, of Christians, and uh, I was at a home a while back. And it was the first time I'd ever been there. But I'm going to tell you, there were spider webs hanging in every room, just, I mean, not just little spider webs. I'm talking about just the cobweb stuff, the stuff you see at Halloween time that they put out for decorations. And everything just stacked up. And, and, and uh, somebody I was with said, well, they, it was that way last time we were here. So that's just the way they live. And I have to ask, you know, what it's saying here. Here's somebody whose things just are never, they're unkept here. And it's slothfulness. We don't think these things concern God, but God mentions them here. And they concern Him because they're mentioned here. And it's a poor testimony, see, to people. And it's things that we can control. People sometimes have no goals, no sense of direction, and they let things pile up and spider webs in their house and animal hairs. These people had animals everywhere. We ate there that night. And uh, after about the fifth hair, I quit eating. And I appreciate the hospitality. But I'll tell you what, I wish they'd clean their house. And uh, because I'll tell you, financially they're struggling too, because if they'll do it there, they'll do it in their, with their employer. 
And because that's a part of their life. That's their makeup. And so see, if God didn't mention it, then, uh, but He does mention it, so it must be important. And He relates it to the person that's the sluggard. The person who wiles away and wastes time here. And so, all of those things. Uh, a while back, it reminds me of another occasion, I go to a house one time. The family, and they raised dogs. And they had about 300 dogs. And uh, I got to their house, and uh, uh, me and another gentleman, and uh, we were invited in. Uh, the dogs were going in and out, and we were invited in. They didn't have to have an invitation. I mean, the dogs didn't. And they were going in and out, and we went in and uh, had to move around things. And they go, uh, let me see if we can find some place here for you to sit. So they found a little chair for us to sit, and one of us was standing, one of us sitting, and the guy goes, you guys want some coffee? We go, no, 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 no coffee. Uh, we didn't want to drink anything. Uh, we didn't know what we would walk away with. But see, that's what I'm talking about, slothfulness. And so see, that's something that we can control. There's something else over in the book of Proverbs in the 10th chapter. In Proverbs chapter 10 and the verse 26, notice what is recorded here for us. In chapter 10 and the verse 26, it says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes is the lazy one. Uh, to those who send him. In other words, he just can't be depended on to get the job done. Vinegar to the teeth, smoke to the eyes, he's irritating. Uh, he's just irritating. You can't depend on this person. And so he mentions these things. Over in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 19, in the verse 24, notice, it says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he will not even bring it back to his mouth. He's so lazy, he won't even feed himself. And so he's expecting someone else here. The idea is he's expecting someone else to meet his needs here. He expects someone, he waits only, he wants somebody to wait on him hand and foot. And uh, he's not one that's going to serve anyone else. He wants everyone to serve him. In the book of Proverbs in chapter 26, in Proverbs chapter 26 and in verse 16, it says here, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. That's one of my favorites. And my point is, he's always got the answer. He's always wiser than other people. He always knows more than other people. He's got the answer. He's so smart. Uh, it's kind of interesting. And I've seen that over and over. It's kind of interesting. I mentioned a moment ago this uh, strategic coach program that I go to five years ago when I started that. The uh, the program is designed with different levels in it, and uh, lower levels that are kind of the entry levels, uh, and uh, then higher levels at the very top. And what they're doing is it, it, they're based on income, but they're just trying to put you in groups of people that will understand and say and have some understanding about the problems you run into in those different categories. But it was kind of interesting that the founder of this program, Dan Sullivan, was in the uh, group that was actually at the lowest level, or the entry level. And he had been working with the highest level, and during the break, he comes over to this lowest level group that's just getting started. And he's welcoming them to the strategic coach, and he says this. He said, anybody have any questions? And somebody raises their hand, and they said, Dan, can you tell a difference between this group 
And that group over there that uh, is so much more at least successful in terms financially. And Dan says, oh yes, I can tell a difference, a big difference between the two groups. He says, you're ten times smarter than they are. And they're all thinking, how can we be ten times smarter? They make ten times the income we make. And he says, yes, that's right, you're ten times smarter than they are. Because he said, you know, somebody tells them what to do and they just go do it. And somebody tells you what to do, and you've got ten better ways to do it. And I'll tell you what, when I heard that, I thought, that is so true in life. The person that never accomplishes any what thing has always got ten better ways to do something than the person that's out there on the front line doing it every day. And so the proverb here certainly knew what he was talking about. And it's an indictment to people. It's an indictment when people are people that are lazy people. And then they've always got a better way to do it. They've never shown any accomplishment, but they've always got a better way. They've got all the answers here. And so it just says this in verse 12 there. It says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is no hope, or there is more hope for a fool than there is for him. So that's not me talking. I know this gets kind of pointed and gets, uh, gets us kind of in the crosshairs sometimes. But this is God talking. And what he's saying here are things that would help us if we're guilty of these things. So a slothful person doesn't want to work. He wants to talk. And so they don't want to hear the truth because they don't want to change. They like the condition that they're in. And so they live in that world. Over in the book of Proverbs also, in Proverbs chapter 6 and in verse 6. You have another of these. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. It says here, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. And so it says here, the point is, the slothful person is short-sighted. They don't prepare for the future. This, uh, this summer uh, in our backyard, the, uh, we, had, uh, we had ant problems, or just little ants, they're so Melanie, it kind of drives her nuts. She's spraying. She's throwing things out there to kill them. We put the water around the, the, the swimming pool area to try to wash them off, and they're just they'll, they're all over the place. But I'll tell you what, I'm always fascinated by them. And I always love to watch them. And it's fun to watch them. I, I one time splashed some water to interrupt their flow. And I just watched them, and they all, it's like they're all turning around. Okay, what are we going to do? There's, there's water in front of us. We can't go that route. And they will work until they figure out a way. They don't stop and lay back and go, water's up right now. But I'll tell you what, they're always working. And I'm just amazed at them. And so God knew what he was doing when he included this, to go to the slugger, or go to the ant-o slugger. Observe the ways. And so when there's obstacles, they find a way around them. They'll do these kinds of things. And so when, then one of the last things in the book of Proverbs, in chapter, not one of the last things in Proverbs, but there, there's so many more that we haven't even looked at, but Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 23. In Proverbs chapter 14 and in verse 23, it says, But in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Just talking about something will always lead to poverty. 
So we have the responsibility of being our best and doing our best and being diligent in all the things that we do every day. Well, let me talk about maybe a couple of other things. And so let me just mention some things that I've found to be of value. And that is, another thing, is we need to learn the value of money. It's a system of exchange. We exchange it for whatever we think is valuable in our life. And uh, I don't know if you've ever studied money before. I'm just talking about how it all began and why we have to rely on money. I've got numerous books on it, and it's fascinating. It doesn't tell me how much I know, but how much I don't know about it. But we need to learn things about money and learn the value of money. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I thought about this, Edwin, before I left tonight. But last time I was out in Beaumont, Texas, I was uh, walking, doing my morning walk. I was at the Hampton Inn out on I-10, so you know where that's at, and the theater that's right beside it. So I was going to get in my five miles that morning. And uh, what I've observed when I walk is how much money is laying around. It's always laying around. I just see money every time. I sit on the street, on our street. And so I've just gotten to where I, I thought that day, well, I'm just going to start picking it up. So, so I started picking up dimes. So I thought, I'm going to write a book one of these days, Five Dimes and Three Pennies. That may be the title to it. Because those are the coins I picked up that day. Things where people just throw it away. I've pulled in for gas before, and I'll see people. They'll get change, and they'll throw it away. And you know, I look at the cars they're driving. They ought to be keeping that money. But it tells me they don't even value. If they don't value, I'll value even a penny if I see it. And so I'll pick it up. Because I see other people that are throwing stuff away. And see, there's value. There's value in money. And it's interesting, the person that ought to be picking it up, I'm probably less likely to need that than he is. But I'm the one that would pick it up. Because, see, being a steward with anything like that is not to throw that stuff away. But that could be used somehow. And so there's those five dimes and three pennies I picked up in Beaumont, Texas, that are still in my possession. Because they're my little story about how people don't value money. They throw it away so often. Uh, another thing is over in the Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 17, and I'll just say this about debt. In chapter 17 and in verse 18, it says, A man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbors. See, whenever we make debts and we make ourselves obligations, we sure dig ourselves in the hole. We're always optimistic that we're going to be able to pay that back. And I know sometimes we have to do that. But whenever we do things like that, not only are we going to have to pay back the principal, we're going to have to pay back the principal. And we're going to have to do that plus the interest. And so that's something extra that we're going to have to do. But we're also paying that back with dollars that are also being, being taxed as a result of that. And so it's taking us more dollars than this amount because we've got to calculate the taxes we're going to also pay. So you're really getting hit in all different kinds of directions here. And so when you understand what goes on in our tax code, see, in our tax code, it, it, it's very complex. In fact, uh, actually, I probably shouldn't even get into that. But, I mean, our tax code is very oppressive. If I give somebody $1,000, uh, 
I had to pay $700 of additional taxes for that in my particular situation. So if somebody uh, needs uh, help, you pay them $1,000 to help them out. Well, not only did that cost me the $1,000, but I had to pay another $700 on top of it of additional taxes. So see, I had to pay even more. And so when you help people like that, on the other hand, if you've got a deductible item, then you can at least deduct it, but you never get all that back. But the point is, here it is, a person who, who they don't limit it. Let me just say something else, too. And that is, this thing going back to the, the counselors. I think one of the wisest things people can do is surround yourself with people that will give you good advice. When I look at my life, I think uh, the best thing, if people ask me, what is the best thing you'd recommend? My best advice would be surround yourself with very capable people. When I look at what I do in my company and what I do professionally, the best thing I've ever done is I hang around people that are awfully good at what they do. They're very good. And they know they're artisans of their trade and their profession. They're honest people. They're hardworking people. My younger brother Bart is here with me. Bart's a CPA by background and also an attorney or got his law degree, and uh, he's come to work in our company. And I'll tell you what, back a few months ago, I guess it's uh, Bart, we were in Phoenix, what, two months ago or so? And I'll tell you what, when I took him to meet people that are friends that I run with around the United States, I was proud that night because he was seeing the kind of people I run with, good people, hardworking people, and people that uh, have great values in life. And I can't begin to tell you what a benefit that is. I control my world very easily because I control who I run with. And I think it's one of the greatest things if you want success in business or anything is surround yourself with good, capable people. And so that's one of those things that I can see. I see just the thing about when we talk about being a steward with money. Let me come over to the, turn over to the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 25, and we'll close with this. And that is the parable of talents. Perhaps, if I could say almost a favorite story in the Bible, it's the parable of talents. You know the story. And it says in verse 14, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slave and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on a journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, as the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them, and the one who had received the five talents came up and bought, brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You ought to underline that in your Bible. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The two-talent man, the same result. He multiplied his talent, and the Lord called him in verse 23, you, faithful, uh, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So he's going to entrust with him even more because he knows what to do with it. He's faithful in what he's done with his abilities. He didn't have any lost opportunity cost. He was using the time and the talents that he had. 
that were entrusted to him, and he took advantage of them. And as a result, he called him a very faithful person. In verse 24, And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. See, what he's saying there is, give it to somebody who's going to be productive. Because, see, they will do something with it. They'll accomplish it. But see, we live in a society, in a world where we take from people who are productive and we give it to the very people that we're to abhor in the Bible. We do just opposite of what the Bible instructs us to do. And we reward insolence and laziness and sluggardness and all of those capabilities or non-capabilities or capabilities that aren't used. And so he says, take away the talent. In verse 29, for to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away from him. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord's most stern rebuke in all of the Bible was was regarding people who were lazy and unproductive people. And they didn't utilize their time or their talents well. And so, see, it's important. Then there's one other aspect, and I'll close on that, and I think it revolves around God's providence. Because I'll tell you what, my personal experience has told me that when you're a faithful steward, God will reward you in ways. You know, if you understand the story of the providence of God, God takes care of people. And I could tell you story after story. I'm reluctant to tell you stories that have happened to me. One of these days, I keep saying I'm, I'm writing a book right now. And uh, but one of the things I'm going to write in that book is with regard to the strange things that happen. And I can't help but give the glory to God in all the things. And I'll share but one of these things just to show you. But I could stand here tonight and for two hours, three hours, I could tell you some of the most incredible things that keep happening, at least in my life. And I keep being entrusted with more and more and more and more. Back a few years ago, I went to, uh, I was with some brethren out in northeast or northwest Arkansas. And these brethren uh, asked me to come and hold a gospel meeting. I agreed to hold that meeting under one condition, that I would pay all of my expenses there, and whatever they were willing to pay me for that meeting, that they would take it and they would send it to some brother in the Philippines that may need help, because they were very involved in the Filipino work. And I said, that's my agreement between you and me, and you're the only congregation of the only group of people I've ever told this to. And so I told them, that will be my deal. I'll pay my own cost, my own way there. I'll take time off from what I do, and I'll come and preach. The Saturday night before that meeting began on Sunday was a couple was converted, baptized, a man and his wife and their 16-year-old daughter. They were a rough-looking couple, but they were a good couple. And they came, and they were there every service. 
They listened so intently. And uh, Steve, they sat about where you, you were sitting at every service. And, uh, you know, they were, they were there, and they were very cordial the entire week. Two years later, one of the elders of that congregation calls my office one day and tells my secretary, says, when Phil's out in northwest Arkansas again, could you tell him to, that he needs to come by and see somebody? My secretary says, well, he's there today. He's actually in your town today. He goes, he is. He goes, she goes, yes. So I go by, or make the phone call to find out the details. So I go by, and it's this guy and his wife. And they remembered what uh, the, the week that I'd been there. And they knew that I worked with people and their money. And uh, they had just sold a big piece of property to Walmart. And uh, I go by, and in one hour, I made, uh, at least financially, more money than when I used to preach. I would have been paid in a couple of years. And the guy with me said, that was just incredible. And I said, no, Travis, you know what? I said, this is the strangest thing. It just keeps happening. I said, I'm being paid for that meeting. I'm being paid for that meeting. And because I'll tell you what, providentially, God will take care of you. And when you do and you rely on Him and trust in Him, and you put your faith in Him, you've got so many things working against you. You've got the system working against you. But I'll tell you one thing you can't afford to have working against you, and that's God. Because if you're not doing what's right, and you're not being productive, then see, not only is the system against you, but Edwin God's against you too. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to fight a losing battle. So there's so much more that we could say, so much more I'd love to say, and you're ready to get out of here. But I appreciate you listening today and tonight, and I hope these things will help. If I can ever help you... In any way on this subject here, I'd love to talk with you further. It's a, it, it, Edwin, it needs to be discussed. The elders here, I, think, I thank you for just having I don't know that I've ever even had a, an occasion that we talk about things like this. But I appreciate the opportunity tonight. I hope this look at faith, family, and finances benefited you as much as it benefited us at the Franklin Church of Christ. If you have any questions about faith, family, finances, or the Franklin Church of Christ, let me encourage you to give us a call, 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If someone has given you this lesson on tape or on CD, can I encourage you to go to that website? Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have several other lessons in this series, Built by the Lord, our 2005 Fall Family Focus. Additionally, we have numerous lessons on various topics. You're free to download those both in audio and outline format. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.